1: Today we are reaching back into our archives to share some of our favorite stories with women over 40. Each of these women has started something special and we wanted to make sure our new listeners didn't miss out on hearing these conversations. Old or new to the podcast, we hope each of these stories inspires you to consider your own possibilities. Enjoy. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. I am excited to have Shira Gill on today. Um, I've known Shira for a couple years now, which is crazy. I can't believe it's been a couple years and really seen her success. It's been so fun to watch, and I'm excited for you guys to hear a little bit more about her story. And this season, when we're talking about pivot stories, some of the things that Shira had to do in her own business, to, to uh, turn things around and make things work. So Shira, welcome. Good to see you.
0: Thank you. It's so nice to see your face. Good I know,
1: I know. I For all of you who are listening, make sure you're members of the network because you can watch Shira. We'll have this Zoom interview and you can see her cute hat and wait till she takes a sip. Her cup <laughs> matches her outfit, ladies. Okay. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But tell us a little bit about what you do. What is What is all things Shira Gill?
0: Yeah, so I, I guess... It's. I've been trying to figure out like a term for what I do, but I think the easiest is just like I'm a hybrid of a home organizer and a minimalist and a stylist and a life coach. Yeah. (laughs) But basically I help people clarify what do you care about? What are your goals? What are your values? And then I go into their homes with them and help them strip away all of the clutter and get organized and really elevate their spaces so they support their lives and their careers and their goals. Yeah,
1: It makes sense, actually, that those things work in concert together, right? That it's one thing to talk about making space in your life for whatever you want to be next. But if you then live in a space, never mind that you've been in that space 24-7 during COVID, that is consuming you, that is taking up the white space in your life that should exist, then it's hard to really embody all those things that you've learned from a from a life coach. So you sort of yep. help create space in both. Yeah. Of those places. So I
0: I started as a home organizer and then I ended up realizing there was so much like guilt and shame and these tough emotions to navigate for all of my clients mm-hmm. when they were going through their homes and their spaces that then I went out and got a life coach certification which has just really helped me kind yeah. of help people make transformation from the inside out and the outside in, Yeah, um, kind of working in combo.
1: What was that guilt, without telling us any one person's story, what was that guilt really rooted in, do you think? Is it like, I can't give this up, my grandmother gave it to me guilt, or or how did I there's, accumulate all this?
0: Right. There's, there's so many brands of guilt that yeah. I've encountered doing this yeah. work, but I'm I sure. think... Like one of the biggest ones is just how did I accumulate so much and kind of lose track of my own spending or my own consuming? How did I get here? And people can get really lost in that. And I feel like my role is to be like, all right, we're future focused. Like what's done is done. What do we want to do now? Yeah. But yeah, there's that. And then there's the guilt of exactly what you said, like the gifts and guilt, or my mother gave this to me, or my kid made this for me. And so I'm really always more concerned with like, okay, but is it helping you now? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like otherwise it's just taking up space and gathering dust.
1: Or how else can you, if it's, I know that I had to, with all the kids art, I have three kids and you know, they're 13, 15 and 17 It's a lot of art. And so I just took pictures of all of it. I was like, yeah. it's just sitting in a box. No one's looking at it. Let's take pictures of it and put it in some sort of book. Like, yeah, there's another way That's to do such this. A good hack,
0: you know, 100%. yeah, I
1: probably yeah. learned that from you. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about this is a really popular space right now. How does one get into it in, um, in a way that makes a difference? Because we all have a friend that like, if they just sat with us, they could help us to edit out our closet. You're going deeper than that. So what experience did you have prior to this that sort of helped you to know this is what I want to do? I'll stop there. I have about five. That's like a five-pronged question.
0: (laughs) Well, it was a real accidental career if I'm being totally candid. Yeah, please. Um, I was an actor for most of my life in theater. I worked in event planning and catering and theater, and that was my life for like 20 years. And then when I left... I left the event planning world because I got pregnant and I got laid off when I was almost eight months pregnant. And I knew I didn't want to do event planning anymore, but I didn't have a clue what I was going to move towards. Right. I had sort of parted ways with life in the theater. And literally, it was like girlfriends saying, you know how you always help me clean out my closet and like tell me all the crap to get rid of? Like, you should do that for people. And so it really wasn't like, this is my career and I've got a business plan or I did a training course. It was like, I've got to make money. Yeah. (laughs) I've got a new baby. People are telling me I'm helpful in this particular way. Yeah. Let me see if I can help some other women. And so I truly cobbled together like my first website on WordPress with a friend, took pictures of my home. It was like $0 and just launched via email telling everyone I've ever met, if you need help editing or organizing I anything, I, I'm i your girl.
1: And, and you were doing that one-on-one. You were meeting with yeah. people one-on-one at that time. exactly okay. In people's
0: homes, yeah. And what did
1: you feel like was your secret sauce? What did you bring to that that you were like, oh, I could do this. I could really, this isn't just like, a gap where I need to make money, but there's really something here, and i've I've got what it takes,
0: so I think it's I mean now that I'm ten plus years into it, it's so funny because I'm like I was like born for this bizarre world career that I have, yeah, but I think it combined like all of my greatest strengths and skill sets, so I do have a superpower of going into a room and being able to see the potential of any space. Yeah. Um. So like when other people see a mess, I'm like, oh no, it could be amazing. And like, we just have to right. reorient and get rid of. And then I, I but I, I think the reason I was so successful right away is that I love people. And so I was always just drawn to understand my clients and connect with them and really help them. And so I think even at the beginning when I had imposter syndrome, I would just show up and be like, tell me everything. Like, what are all the stressors and the challenges I want? I genuinely want to know. And then I would just think, "Okay, if this was my house, what would I do? How can I help them get from A to B? Right. So I think it was like the genuine desire of like service and wanting to help and wanting to add value that just created this kind of incredible like word of mouth network and like you know I was written up early on on many moms forums and yeah. you know like when the moms like you and start talking yes. and tell all their girlfriends it was like psh. yeah so yeah i i kind of couldn't keep up with the demand right away
1: was it hard to convince people i mean it sounds like your friends were used to having you around but to convince people that This isn't just a luxury to have me come in and edit, but this is actually going to change your life. Like, this is a necessity. It will shape your budget. It will shape the way you think about buying. You're going to end up saving money. You're going to recoup the money you spent on me. Like, could you convince people of that pretty early on? Or was that something they had to experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, the truth is there wasn't a lot of convincing other than reluctant partners, but typically, like, the people who would find me were like, I need you. And so there was no convincing. But then I did encounter a lot of reluctant partners who were kind of of the mindset of, like, we should be able to do this ourselves. Um, right. This is not something we should need to pay for. And so I would always say, great, like, do it yourself and call me if you hit a roadblock. And then <laughs> they would. <laughs> because like, I I don't want to take somebody's money unless I really feel like they have the need and I can help them. Sure. But yeah, I think most people who found me, like I would leave little business cards in my pediatrician's waiting room office. Uh And that was like my big marketing hack, you know, 11 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) And people would call me and say, I didn't, I've never even heard of a professional organizer, but I saw your card and like, you're pretty edited pictures of your home. And I just, that's what I want. So I think, um, and I I will say I set myself apart early on because of my aesthetic and having this very clean kind of minimal curated aesthetic resonated with people. And so I got a lot of particularly busy working moms who were like, I want my house to feel like a spa, like, Game on! Tell me what to do.
1: I'm in. I'm in. What whatever <laughs> it takes, I'm in. And I have to believe that when you are in somebody's home and you're doing sort of that intimate work of cleaning out a closet, organizing books, wh- whatever it is, you really get to know them. And so that must have informed. Wait a minute. There's more I can offer here. There's more opportunity here, which must have led to the coaching piece of it. Is that sort of how that happened?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it was. Realizing there's so much here. There's so much I could do with this career. Um, and I think because my goal was always like, I want to help people and I want to have impact. And I saw my mom actually was a life coach and my dad was a therapist. So oh, I wow. come from a very psychologically minded family. Yeah. So that was always like in my blood, and I was curious about people and roadblocks and overcoming challenges and I think it it became such a thread in my work of people literally crying and breaking down yeah. that I was like I want to learn more about yeah. how to help people and how to connect to kind of the guilt and the shame and the self-doubt and all of the things that go along with cleaning out your house.
1: Right. There's one more service you can add and that could be helping them budget.
0: (laughs) Because because
1: you do sort of realize like when you see that pile of stuff, like, oh my gosh, what could I have saved and how could that money have gone into an experience for me and my family? A trip to Mexico, perhaps. (laughs) We were talking about Mexico (laughs) yes, You know, something like that. Right?
0: Yeah. No. And I think that's like, part of why I love my work so much is really, I think it's like values-based work. So Mm -hmm. it's identifying what do you care about? What do you want more of? And that's, for me, the impetus of cleaning out my own house was I want to travel a lot and I want to see the world and I want to have the budget to do all of those things. And I want to make it really easy to pack in five minutes and get out the door. Right. We even rent our house on Airbnb when we travel. And so that was like another thing of like, if my house feels like a boutique hotel, A, that'll feel great for me, but then also like added bonus, I can rent my house and it can fund travel and vacations for my family.
1: Right. Another, another hack, another thing to consider. Another perk. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we know the original business model was one-on-one what did you start doing? Kind of bring us to present time pre-COVID, because we're going to get into that in a second. But how did you morph from one-on-one to, I know you have courses and there's lots of ways for people to work with you.
0: Yeah. So I think it was about six years into my business. um, I was working one-on-one. I was working like sometimes six days a week, really was starting to get burnt out. And also my work is so physical and I was like traveling and loading and unloading and my back was hurting and I'm in my 40s. And I was like, how is this going to be sustainable? And so I had a mentor um, at the time who actually is the founder of the Life Coach School that I went to, Brooke Castillo, and she invited me to be part of a very small women's mastermind group. And um, it was all about scaling your business. And I was like the most reluctant of anybody in that room. I was like, I hate computers. I don't take online programs. Not for me. Right. And she essentially convinced me that it was really the only way forward um, that she was like, you can keep going and you can just burn out and then you're not going to want to do this at all. Or maybe you try doing a program where you can reach more people and where I really wrapped my head around the idea was that I was maxing out on my time mm-hmm. and I wanted to help more people. And I realized that my profession is a profession of privilege. Like it is a want and not a need to have a professional sure. organizer come to your home. Right. So I was like, I know this is a universal pain point, but most of the population probably can't afford this. Yeah. And so- My idea was if I can figure out how to do an online program and make it really an accessible price point, I could help more people for less money and it would be a win-win. So I wrapped my head around the idea and I launched my first program, which was the Virtual Closet Makeover Program. And um, the idea was basically that I taught women all over the world exactly how to kind of clarify your personal style and then edit, organize, and set up your entire closet, top to bottom, like down to the underwear drawer and the accessories. So I did that and really was very dubious that it would work, that people would be interested. Sure. Um, I really thought everyone's going to just want me in their home. But in fact, I had the first time I launched it, I had over 200 people sign up um, all over the world. I had women on every continent. And it was incredible. And it was such a thrill to be able to help people and have this kind of global conversation about organizing and stuff and our relationship with our clothes. And so I ended up launching that program four more times live and then started seeing, oh, like this is making more money for Mm -hmm. less work than what I'm doing I still loved the one-on-one, but I started kind of pre-COVID shifting where it was roughly 50-50. So like 50% of my time was online programs. Um, And I did launch a whole other suite of programs. So I did like the kitchen and pantry makeover, and I did the workspace and work from home makeover. um, And I did a get organized masterclass, and I did a clutter-free with kids. So I had this kind of whole suite of programs And I was still doing one-on-one. And so it was a nice balance. So that kind of takes us up to.
1: Right. And I (laughs) I assume the one-on-one helps to inform the classes. It's sort of like you get to hear on a much more intimate level what some of the pain points are. And so when you craft the class, when you're creating it in advance, you're taking the lead of some of the people that you've been working with. You're able to infuse some of those issues into that class that you're scaling, and yes. the price point. I want to say that was huge. You know, if can we can we talk money for a second? Yeah, totally. So your totally. one-on-one time was worth what? What were people paying was, for that?
0: It was people were paying fifteen hundred. Was like my starting right. package,
1: and that and that's one person that you're impacting for fifteen hundred dollars. How much were you charging for the course?
0: One ninety seven.
1: One ninety seven. You guys do the math times two hundred people <laughs> for one class. So you more than made up. For, of course, it took time to create the class and all of that, but that's something that could be reoccurring. You could continue to do yes. that.
0: Yes, and I will. I I'm pretty open about money, so I can say like my investment to create the course with like the videos and the graphic design and all the things. Yeah. for that first course was six thousand dollars. Yeah. And I made many, 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 like infinitely more than that on my first launch, which kind of blew my mind. Um, So then for subsequent launches, it was really just profit. Like I had created the materials, had it all set up, and now it's an asset that lives on my website that people can just buy the whole thing and kind of binge watch it. So, and people... Just buy it and can do it whenever they want, which is amazing. Yeah. It's also,
1: I think you could, you would probably say this because I know how much time you've put into your own brand. And when you create that first one, so that $6,000 investment, a lot of that is the photography, really deciding what the fonts are, the colors are, what's the vibe, what's the look. But once that's established, you start to carry that over into the other courses and into the other offerings. Never mind, you've learned how to use all the technology that can make it easier, right? Yeah. It's a lot yeah. to learn in the beginning. It was a
0: huge learning curve for me. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. I had a lot of self-coaching to do. <laughs>
1: yes. We we all do. We all do. So, okay. So bring us up now to COVID. What And and we're going to get into this more in the second half. But what changed for you in COVID?
0: Gosh, everything. I yeah. mean, so I should say right before COVID, I got a big book deal. Yeah. Um, And so that was kind of my huge career dream come true yes and so I got a big book deal with Penguin Random House yes. and um, and so my kind of business plan for the forthcoming year had been I'm gonna see my one-on-one clients maybe I'll run a program or two and I'm gonna be writing the book and shooting the book it has images so I was gonna be traveling all over and right um, so covid hits <laughs> and it was like, Oh man. So basically, first of all, I had to cancel all of my one on one clients um, because I wasn't going into people's homes. And I've really, even now we're hitting a year, I've only done a handful of projects in the past year that have been like outside with masks, the whole thing. Yeah. So it really wiped out that whole piece of my business. And I think initially, um, my thought was like, okay, I have to recoup that money. I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. And so it was like, okay, like we got to figure this out real fast. And so I did have my, you know, my book advance and I had some programs, but really like one of the initial pivots I did is I, I had launched a mentorship program, mm-hmm. um, that was all online. And that had been going well, and I had only been taking a few people every season. And just to be clear, Shira, so
1: everybody knows, you were mentoring people to...
0: Ah, sorry. Um, Who wanted to become professional organizers. Just wanted people (laughs) to know. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So it was like a business mentoring program for people who either had dreamt of becoming a professional organizer and wanted to know the ins and outs and have my support to build their business and launch it or I also was mentoring established organizers that were interested in pivoting the way I did launching a program or a workshop. So I basically just cranked that part of my business up. Yeah. And it was kind of extraordinary how quick basically I filled all of the one-on-one home organizing spots with mentorship clients. Wow. And I think a lot of that the feedback that I got was there were a lot of people who had always dreamed of doing this thing. And the pandemic actually made them really say, you know what, like, if not now, when? when? Yep. And a lot of people who couldn't go to work or their circumstances had changed and they just thought, you know what, now is the time to invest and create this business. Yeah. So that initially was great. It was just like, okay, like out with this, in with this, we're rebalanced again. But yeah, I mean, it's been a juggle the whole, you know, I have two kids home who have not spent a day in school for the past year. Uh, We're all on top of each other in a 1200 square foot home with no office. And so it's been a lot of like, just asking myself, what can I do next? Like, what can I do to create value What are the things I can do instead of focusing on all of the things I can't do right now? Sure. um, Of which there are many, sadly. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
1: I know. But I appreciate that there was um, a thoughtfulness in what do I have to offer? Who have I not offered this to? And then filling that gap and seeing that there was a need all along uh, and and being very intentional about the work that you do. I think we can often find ourselves in a little backed into a corner thinking, this is the only thing I have to offer. And when we get a little bit, when we move away from it and and our periphery open, opens up, it's like, oh, wait, there's more here. There's yes. more to this. Did you like the mentoring piece of it? Were you surprised?
0: I love it. It's like my favorite thing. And it, that's is. What, it was a shock because it was like, oh, well, I'll just do this. And then- I've met fascinating people from all over the world. And and even people, I've had people who were like, well, I'm not a home organizer, but would you mentor me? And so like, I've mentored doctors who want to start a virtual program, photographers, nutritionists. And I kind of realized like, oh, once you know how to be an entrepreneur and build a business it's the same thing. Yeah. No matter what the content is. So.
1: Especially when you're talking about in the online space and with a course, those things I think are the things that trip people up. They can imagine opening a brick and mortar in in a way that they can't imagine like when technology is involved and depending on their age and their comfort with technology, like that's the next level. It's not just coaching people or in yeah in your particular niche, it's then coaching people who want to do whatever, but want to offer a course. How do you do that? How do I get from A to B in the most efficient way and save? Maybe I don't have $6,000 that that Shira had. What hacks can she teach me to get there sooner?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many. And I I have to say, like, I think the people that I really see succeeding, it's it's all mindset. It's not the money that they have or the assets or even the content it's literally just the people that are like i was born to do this thing and i'm doing it no matter what yeah um and so a lot of the coaching i do is just about getting out of your own way and out of the imposter syndrome which is so universal yes and i tell my clients like i'm like i know it looks really shiny but like i've got it too and like every time i launch a new program I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> and then I just do it and then I don't die so far. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, we were just recording an, a podcast earlier and the thing that came out, this person happens to be a publicist and she's worked with Barbara Walters and Oprah and Tony Robbins and you name it, everything that came out of her mouth. And and the through line we realized with all of these personalities and all of these successful people, no matter what you might think of some of them, is that they never gave up. Yeah. They had a million things fail. They had a million setbacks. It's just their mindset was such that they were like, I'm going to put out what I uniquely am equipped for into the world, and I'm just going to keep yeah. doing it in different ways until it sticks. And and until it it means something. So let's kind of, well, before we wrap this part up, what was something that you learned about yourself? I'm sort of fascinated by, I think, because in my own life, entrepreneurship has sort of, it shifted how I view life, what I think of myself. It has become a spiritual journey for me as much as it has a practical way to Serve other people and to make money. Like there's more to it. What have you learned about yourself in this process of becoming an entrepreneur?
0: God, I think I've learned I'm tougher than I thought I was. You know, there have been so many times I wanted to give up or throw in the towel or I was like in scarcity or fear. Yeah. But I'm 11 years in now. And so I think overcoming all of those obstacles and setbacks and fears, it it really has changed me as a person where I think I'm more confident now in every area of my life because I'm like, oh, when things happen, I keep going. Like it's kind of given me this like fighter spirit. Yeah. And like, I can figure anything out. I did not believe that before I was an entrepreneur. And, you know, like I said, Technology, not my thing, as you could tell when I like searched my whole house for earbuds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That you found them. I found them. But I think getting over huge resistance and being like, okay, I'm going to make it happen has just made me feel like I can do anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which pours out into every part of our life into parenting, into a relationship with a partner, into anything.
0: Yeah, that tenacity. I think. Yeah, is it's such an entrepreneurial quality. It's I think a must. That you have to. It's yeah. a must. <laughs> it is a must. So now I wanted to sort of take
1: us into this part of your journey where you can. We've got you in front of us. We want to pick your brain. We want to get all all the juice and all those people who have. I mean, everyone's had to pivot in some way, whether it's just learning to work from home, whether it's having to work while caring for someone else. It could be an elderly parent, somebody that's far away from you, children that are homeschooling right around you. So I, I wanna take some time to just think about how that impacted you and your business and what you would have to say to others. So what did you think was the most challenging part? You talked about having to replace that income yeah. being a big piece of it, but what would you say was the most challenging part of just facing... Twenty twenty, and really even into twenty twenty one.
0: Oof. Um, I mean, aside from fear of COVID and yeah. our government, and <laughs> yeah. aside, yeah, aside <laughs> else, from those things. Um. Yes. No. I think in terms of like business and life, for me, the biggest challenge was for sure going from being alone all the time and having a house to myself and quiet and mm. having it really be easy to focus, to a puppy, two kids, and a very loud husband. (laughs) Um, I have very loud people, actually. Everyone's very loud. Yeah. And we have a small house. I gave up my home office for my kids to have their own rooms a few years ago. So literally, we're like fighting for the dining room table or the kitchen counter or who's going you know, who gets the coffee table for their art project. And I'm a person who like really likes to like introvert out and focus and quiet. And so that's been a real challenge. And I think the big lesson for me was about constraint and like constraining my time. And instead of fighting all day to get focus and attention, kind of claiming these pockets. Mm. And so when the pandemic started, my husband was working nine to five on Zoom, basically very loudly. <laughs> Did I emphasize that he's loud? I
1: I've, I heard it. Yeah, I heard you say
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my kids were on their Zoom calls sure. and I had a book to write. So I had an entire manuscript to write. And my whole vision of like, you know, sitting at cafes with my latte, like it was all out the window And so I said to him, like, this feels impossible, like juggling the kids and the noise. And what we figured out is basically like my pocket of time, I'm sharpest in the morning. Mm -hmm. So he was like, why don't you wake up at six or seven, have your computer like at the foot of the bed, and I will like leave with the kids and take the dog out for a walk before work and school starts. And you get that two to three hours of silence. And- I did that every day for six months until I had a 320 page manuscript wow. and two hours a day, 7 to 9 a.m. And what's crazy about it is that I realized had I not been forced into that situation of like forced focus, I would have dragged it out so much longer. Like, you know, they gave me a year to write my book. I finished it in six months. I'm sure I would have spent eight hours a day fussing over it. But instead, it was like, it's go time. And I just put my head down and did it. And I think that's like a productivity hack that now I want to take into the future of like less but better with time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And fits into, again, your life coaching piece, like when you're talking to people about, Clearing space, whether it's a physical closet or time in their life, like the difference that makes and being intentional with time.
0: Yes. We all
1: know, we all know what it takes to get into that deep work. We all know what it, you know, what the the value of time blocking, but then to just be really intentional about it and carve out that time. And I like that you did it at the same time every day. There was no question. And you had a deal, you struck a deal with your partner to say, okay, you have to help me in this way to remove to remove that space yeah. or, or to remove that noise, himself included, to, yes, to create yes. that space. <laughs> a lot of people, when they hear pivot, which if you're an entrepreneur, this is not a new word. This word has been around. It's something that people do just to survive. I think during the time of COVID, we've heard it a lot. And for some people, I think they thought it meant this 180 degree turn. And sometimes it just took a little, like a little shift, just a tiny yeah. notch to sort of change the way people viewed the market they were talking to, viewed the product or service they had to offer. What would you say is sort of some good advice for somebody who's thinking, I need to do something differently. This isn't working, whether it's COVID related or not. Yeah. Where, where to start considering what that pivot could or should be.
0: Yeah, so I I would just brainstorm a list of like these are all of the things I'm good at and I love contributing or helping other people with whether it's a service or a product. Yeah. And just getting like a big meaty list of like what are all the things? And you might be surprised at something that pops up on the list that you're like, "Oh, I that is something I could do." in exchange for money. Yeah. (laughs) So like for me, I realized I love goal setting. I probably love goal setting more than I love organizing. If I'm honest, like it's my passion and I'm good at it. And I love setting goals and breaking them down and achieving things. And so when I kind of hit a, like, I've got to figure out other ways of making money. Like that was a thing where I was like, You never would have thought a home organizer is teaching now a goal setting course, but like that's what I intend to do as my next program, right? Is just do a like how to get shit done course around goal setting. Yeah. And that did just come from a simple brainstorm of like, what are all the things that I'm good at that I like doing? Maybe that people have told you that you're good at, which is literally how I started my business was. Girlfriends saying, you know how you helped me organize my closet? Like, I think other people might like that. Um, so even asking your closest friends and family members, like, how have I been helpful to you? Right. Or what's something I've, like, created or helped you with that you think could be maybe a fit for my business?
1: And even if that's in an existing business, to your earlier point, you can still... In, in your case, you didn't pivot away from what you were doing. You added something to what you were exactly. doing. So it doesn't yes. mean you're abandoning what you used to do. It could mean, right. I mean, you might need to. Look, some people, 2020 just um, helped them deal with the inevitable. They maybe needed to shut down that business or it was never going right. to make money. Maybe it gave them permission to do so. But I think in this case, we're talking about when we talk about a pivot, is there something in addition to what you're doing that you could do or that you could, sometimes it's a reframe, rebranding and relooking at what the offering is or niching down even further on what you offer and saying, that's really my sweet spot. Let me spend a lot more time there.
0: Yes. And in fact, I mean, you made me think of like during uh, the pandemic, I was approached a lot to speak and Speaking was something I had never thought of that, like, that was in my wheelhouse or under my business umbrella. And I realized, like, oh, now that's another thing that, like, instead of doing the organizing, I can speak about the organizing. Yeah. So it's kind of looking at all of the different mediums. Like, can you talk about it? Can you do a video about it? Can you create a program about it? Like, there's so many creative ways of connecting to what you do.
1: Yeah. Well, when you offer the goal setting course, let us know, because I want every Hi. single Liberty listener and person in the network to take that course. Everybody. Hey. and I, I really believe that it's, it's less about the business model. It's less about the Instagram. It's less about, it's more about just being organized, understanding how to use what you've created, understanding how to communicate to people, and all of those things are born in organizing yourself. So, yes, we all, yes, we no, we'll 100%. all need a little bit of that. When things are back to normal, whatever that means, what will you go back to, or what will you never go back to? Like, I will never do this again. I'm leaving that behind in terms of your work.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'm abandoning anything, but I think the, I never would have taken the risk of pivoting completely to an online business model ever, ever, ever. And I think now being forced into it and seeing, oh, that is viable. I think I will go back to some one-on-one home organizing, but like a small fraction of what I was doing before. Yeah. And I think one of the great discoveries for me was how much I love writing. And so I have other... Book ideas I want to pitch and I can imagine like so many books that I want to write. Yeah. And other projects I want to do. And um, but yeah, I think it's just made me realize it's like I have all the pieces of the pie, but the percentages are just gonna shift around, you know, as things move around in the world.
1: Right. Well, I, am glad that we're getting in on this Shira Gill lifestyle early. I'm glad I knew you (laughs) when, because they (laughs) all do, there is a through line with all of them. They don't seem like disparate pieces of a business or work. They seem very connected. So it makes a lot of sense that those, those would all live in concert together.
0: Yeah, and I think I realized like I my brand is really a lifestyle brand which yeah. leaves a lot of room for creativity and so at different times in my career like I focused more on design or styling or more on fashion and closet editing or more on life coaching um or now more on goal setting or book writing and so it it does feel like a huge privilege to have this brand where I can kind of navigate through yeah. and follow what I'm interested in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's cool. It's fun to watch too. Again, having known you for a little while, it's fun to see how yeah. that's come to be. When you think about people staying afloat, put on your your coaching hat and people feel like they're really, really bogged down or struggling. What is the thing that you want to sort of help them to unearth? How? Do, what questions do you ask to help them to get quickly or more meaningfully more intentionally to the root of what's keeping them from staying afloat like i know in conversations that i have with people they often think it's this and after a, after a little bit of time spent really digging and listening you realize oh that's not the root of your problem this is the root of your problem what do you yeah. what do you find is often the case
0: i think often people haven't really clarified what the specific result is that they want. And so they're putting energy into all of the things right. and burning out. But I think if you can really constrain your focus to like, what is the thing? What is the one thing that you want? Yeah. And it's really hard for people it to is. identify that. I mean, even it in is. in people's homes, like that's the first question I ask is like, what are the results you want to create in your home? And it is fascinating, like nine out of 10 people will just start telling me random stories or like, look over there. And I'm like, no, no, no. What do you want? And so I think it's really scary to identify what you want and to say it out loud. But for me, and I think for the clients I've worked with, once you can get to that nugget of like, okay, here's the thing. If I'm really being honest, here's the thing I really want. Then you can strip away everything else that doesn't align or is just clutter or distraction. And so for me, a big part of this year was like, I want to write an amazing book. That's the thing. Like, yes, I still want to help people with organizing. Yes, I still want to mentor people. But like my one thing is like this book. And so all of my best, you know, early morning energy went into that thing and it helped me make decisions about what I said yes to and what I said no to and all the rest of it. So I think that's always where I start is just with the clarity of what do you want? Like, what is your vision of success? And then what are all the things that are just kind of noise in yeah. the way? And how do we get those out of the way?
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's actually easier for somebody who's fresh starting up to identify that than somebody who's already in the business, whatever that business yeah. is, because often you start to look at, well, what is my customer asking for? And you you morph your thing to be yes. their thing. And you're two years into that and you're like, what am I even doing? This is not what I want to be doing. This is not what I care about. This is not what kind of sets my soul on fire, you know, and then it becomes a drudgery. And and yep. so you you get into this cycle. So I like what you're saying about identifying it and it is very hard. I think it's harder than most of us imagine. It seems easy enough to answer that question, but and I will say this, it is often harder for women because it feels selfish. It feels like right. we're not supposed to ask ourselves that question cuz that's going to leave out, you know, my spouse or my children or or whatever. And in fact, I think that's exactly where you should be operating from. And when you can identify that, what you become is your full self. And then that's what you're giving back to those people in your life. The thing that you thought was such a selfish endeavor is actually the gift that you have to give them when you can live out of that place. But it takes a long time to get there. The other thing I wanna say is, I've said it on this podcast before, but you were talking about the one thing. The book, The One Thing, is a great book for people to read. If you don't want to read it, listen to the podcast. But he talks so much about the lie of multitasking. He talks about really being able to focus your energy uh, in order to produce results that will get you there, not only quicker, but will get you there in a way that is, I keep using the word intentional, but it is it is intentional. The work that you're putting into that is your best work. It's not, just, yeah. it's not just a function of like, if I better block my time. It's also that energy and you talking about the, your best at those early hours or during those early hours, like even identifying that so that you can give that project all of you Or the best of you during that time.
0: Yeah. Like I think it's, and I have friends and creatives who are total night owls. So it's like the opposite for them. Like they turn on at like 9 p.m. Right. So I think it's like really paying attention to your energy and when am I my sharpest? And then scheduling those things that take the most brain energy for that time. Yeah. I also was going to say like I think for me the key to succeeding in business is finding that like, magic sweet spot, the intersection of the thing you love that lights you on fire and the thing that the world needs and wants to pay money for. Yeah. And so I always start with, like, what do you want? Like, what is your dream business? What are you doing? What are you making? How are you doing it? And then looking at, okay, now what does the world need and how do we, like, marry those two things? And I think when those two come together, that's, like, explosive growth for business. I
1: love, okay, so that's actually, if you get a text from me, that's underneath my signature. It's a quote by uh, Frederick Beekner. that is the world's, your deep need, but your your gladness, your joy meeting the world's deep need. Like that intersection is where we should be living from. So I love that so, so much. What's one piece of advice that you want to leave listeners who are in the middle of a pivot, listeners who are thinking about launching something, who are in that ideation space, or people who are trying to better organize their life so that they can grow their business? What's one piece of Shira Gill wisdom that you can leave them with? <laughs>
0: um, well, I mean, the obvious thing for me is like, have a clear place to work that feels good. Mm. Like that for me is everything. Yeah. Even if that's just like, one little slice of a table with like a flower and your laptop, but create a space that feels good to create from. Yeah, And then the other, like the piece of business advice that I think it's very obvious, but I think we underestimate often how impactful small, consistent action can be. And I think most people, whether it's like, organizing their home or launching a business, take this like all or nothing approach and then get panicked and burnt out and don't do anything. And what I found is if you can just do like 15 minutes a day towards your goal Mm. of focused Mm. time, look at what you can achieve in weeks or months or years. And so that has really helped me when I feel overwhelmed is just what can I do in 15 minutes, you know? And sometimes it blows my mind what you can do in 15 minutes if you yeah. put your phone away and all the distractions and you just like laser focus. Yeah,
1: no, it's it's so true. When you carve out that time, it's amazing what you can accomplish, but rarely do we use our time in that way. That's, I know. That's a, good, that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> so I'm not gonna let you go without answering our fast five. These are just some fun questions. So what's okay. the one thing that you would say, an entrepreneur must possess again for somebody who's in the trenches already or thinking about like is this is this for me am i an entrepreneur what would you say you you got to have this
0: comfort with failure
1: ooh i don't think we've heard that one yet that's good nice. yeah that's a good one we'll be hashtagging <laughs> gotta that got to get
0: real friendly with failure yeah yes <laughs> make it your best friend yes. and then like if you can get to a place where you're like bring it failure I'm, I'm okay with you. You, you can do anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's a great thing to be teaching our kids too, right? Like the more comfortable they get with that early on in life, the more opportunity they'll be afforded. Okay. A business app. And I'm even going to say for you or a hack that you recommend something that you use or do that helps you to become more efficient in your business.
0: So I do this thing called the 15-minute win, which is just what I said, like focusing for 15 minutes on a dreaded task or something you've been procrastinating on. And so I use either the Pomodoro app, Uh um, Uh which that's 25 minutes followed by a five-minute break. I personally prefer 15 minutes because I can really wrap my head around it. So like, honestly, the timer on my phone is the app that I think is the most valuable.
1: And so you literally will set it for 15 minutes and you're like, okay, this is all I'm doing in this 15 minutes and I'm going to head on, I'm going to tackle this.
0: Yeah. So like this, I discovered this when I had to write a keynote and I was so scared and I just couldn't sit down and do it. And it was so daunting. And I finally said, Shira, just 15 minutes. And so I took my timer and I took my computer and I was like, all I have to do is work on this. Speech for 15 minutes. And what I found is a few minutes into it, I was already like, fine. I had gotten over that. Whatever that initial
1: hump was. Wow. Yeah.
0: All of the resistance. And so then I started doing it with my organizing clients, like set a timer and, and declutter one drawer. And then people started sending me their pictures, like, look what I did in 15 minutes. And it was mind blowing. And um, so I do this on Instagram now as like a challenge. What can you do in 15 minutes?
1: I love that. (laughs) I love that for the home organizing because I'm one of those people that's like, oh, this is like five days of everybody. It never is. (laughs) I love that. Like
0: under the kitchen sink, tidying your fridge, under the bathroom, 15 minutes. Okay. It's extraordinary what you can do. We're in. You <laughs> heard it here,
1: ladies. You heard it first on Liberty. Okay. And then once you had a little bit of money in the business, what was the first task you hired out for?
0: Um, The first thing I invested in was photography. Okay, And I think the most important investment for my business was having a professional photographer take pictures for my website and my Instagram and my blog and... I'm not great with photography and I know how I want things to look. So partnering up with a photographer who I really trusted, like she's kind of my right hand person.
1: And do you have sort of a schedule where you reshoot, maybe not in the COVID year, but um, you reshoot every so often to get new pictures?
0: Yeah, I just do a seasonal shoot with her. Okay. So I'll kind of batch content and ideas or, you know, projects I've done in my home and have a list. And then it really is every quarter. She's also doing my, my whole book. So she's like been a relationship I've had since early, early on. But yeah, that was, and I will say like people who hired me always said, I hired you because I loved the images on your website.
1: Right. You said that earlier. So that makes a ton of sense. And I think we'd be surprised how many of us need photography, even if we're not in a lifestyle type business. Sometimes it's just people need to see you. They need to know who they're connecting with. And you need, we all need a good shot of ourselves.
0: Good shot.
1: Okay. This is a tough one. So, you know, get ready. Uh, Twizzlers or Red Vines? (laughs)
0: Gonna go red vines. Yes,
1: I knew I liked you. I knew it. I'm a big red vines person. It's amazing to me how many people say Twizzlers. Usually, you really? can figure it out by East Coast, West Coast. Usually, oh. but um, oh. yeah, but I've had some West Coasters like say Twizzlers, and I'm really disappointed. Anyway, yeah, I still I love them. I still love them, but. <laughs> So you know, and you've been around Liberty for a while, you know this podcast is Liberty for Her. That's our brand. We care so deeply. It's at the core of what we do about helping women to liberate their dreams through entrepreneurship specifically, but I think we view entrepreneurship on a spectrum, whether it's a for-profit business, a nonprofit, writing a book, producing a documentary, whatever that thing is. What does Liberty mean for you?
0: I think it's the great privilege to produce and create work that I love Mm. that makes a difference. And it does feel like a huge privilege to be able to really do work that I'm passionate about every day and to do it my way and on my own terms.
1: Yeah. You've used that word a lot in this podcast, and I think it's so refreshing to hear someone identify that it is a privilege, but also take responsibility for that privilege and lean into it. And I I feel like we learned that from listening to you today. Thank you, Shira. It's such a treat to be with you. It's so good to see you. Next time I'll wear my hat too. It won't look (laughs) as cute. But I'll try. I'm sure it will. I'll try and bring it. Thank you for this time. And I'm actually very serious about please let us know when you have that course out because I think that's something that our listeners would greatly benefit from.
0: Thank you. This was so fun. It was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.
1: And Liberty listeners, thanks for taking the time to hang out with Shira and me. And we will uh, be live with you guys in another week. Take care. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham, and music by Jordan Flower.